as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Lord God, we are grateful to gather around you and your word this morning. Pray that you might quiet our hearts, might quiet my heart, so that we can truly listen to what you have to say. God, we believe that you speak into the big moments of our life. Allow us to give those over to you today. And God, we also believe you speak into the small moments that you invite us forward into all aspects of our life. And so, God, we pray that we might be open and believe that you care about the smallest of emotions, the smallest of actions, and you desire to be with us and to make those a part of building your kingdom. And so we pray that we might hear and believe that that is true this morning. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. It's me again. Surprise. Good to be with y'all in spirit. It's, I'm going to admit, it's very difficult not to feel like I need to be very serious here, and yet it also seems just kind of a crazy situation. Uh, but I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be uh, able to gather around God's Word and, uh, and grateful for Matthew for, um, for reading it for us. This morning, uh, in the passage we just read, if you read it in the, in the story in the Bible, the heading at the top of the passage is the triumphal entry. And I'm sure you knew that. It's so familiar, we just take it as a thing that happened. But, but let me ask you, you ever had a triumphal entry in your life? I feel like I need more of those in my life. Like, I want to somehow get my little Google Home Mini that every time I enter, like, a walk-in music starts playing and my family is, you know, clapping. I'm, like, at a party and... 
maybe there's a mutual person, there's someone you know, and I'm talking to them, and then you end up talking to the person, and they're like, hey, I was talking to Drew. And then that person says, oh, wow, he just entered my life quite triumphantly. That'd be awesome. I don't know if you're tracking with me, because I have no idea, but it'd be pretty cool. Be a big deal. Be, be exciting. Point is, this story in the gospel, it's a big moment. It's impressive. And Jesus, he doesn't scuttle the hype. He wants it to be meaningful. He even makes sure the whole thing feels biblical. Every little detail is carefully crafted. And people, they respond with genuine excitement and, and hope. They're fired up. They're, they're ripping down trees and, and shouting Hosanna in the highest. And, and 2,000 odd years later on a, on a more traditional Palm Sunday, recreating that celebration is, is one of my yearly highlights of worship. Seeing the, the kids process down the aisle and they lead the con congregation and, and waving the palms and people, even though you know we're a bunch of Presbyterians, they're actually raising their hands and they're, they're singing at the same time. They're not even self-conscious about it. There's this joy in it. I love it. It's this big moment that's, that's just awe-inspiring a lot of times. But that said, when, when you put Palm Sunday into the full context of the gospel story, you start to realize that it's, it is kind of a weird tradition. Palm Sunday, it feels a bit like dumping Gatorade on the coach because your team is winning at halftime. Actually, actually, it feels like giving a Gatorade bath at halftime, even though you know you will eventually lose the game and your coach is going to die in the fourth quarter. On Palm Sunday, we join the crowd shouting, you know, hooray, Jesus! But we do so knowing that five days from now, none of the people in this story will have stuck around. If they're shouting anything, they are shouting for Jesus to go to the cross. I'm not saying we should therefore stop celebrating Palm Sunday. There is a place for big moments like this. There are times when we can't help but get swept up in the deep emotions we feel. And I think we need those moments. Like when we realize that we are truly loved and forgiven by the Lord. That's a big moment. And that's a good thing. In the same way, it's good to feel a part of something bigger than ourselves. Sometimes it's even good to be overwhelmed. God's presence overwhelms us. And last week, we, we talked about the power and the importance of finally realizing we are in a desperate situation and we need to call out to God. 
whether it's the highest of highs or the the lowest of lows it would be dangerous and it would not be good to try to repress the dramatic moments and emotions in our life which is probably why as i mentioned before Jesus, he doesn't shy away from the grand gestures of Palm Sunday. He doesn't tell the people to quiet down their shouts. He knows it's good. Yet at the same time, and I think this is so important, Jesus is not defined by this day. He's not defined by this entrance. I love the little detail in Mark that describes Jesus riding this wave of exuberation into the city. People are excited, but then by the time he he makes it inside the walls, Jesus realizes it's kind of late in the day. And so all these people, they are all excited to see what Jesus is going to do, and they've made a big deal about it. And then Jesus, he he finally gets in, and he he looks at his watch, and he's like, eh, I'll just come back tomorrow. It's kind of late. What I think we're seeing here is, is the real tension of this story. Because when Jesus enters Jerusalem, when he makes it to this moment in his ministry, the direction of the world really is about to turn. God's kingdom is about to break open. This is a big moment. And yet it's very clear Jesus is not there simply to create that big moment. In fact, one could argue the big moments of Holy Week happen only out of the very small moments of love that make up Jesus' actual focus. Our stories of faith, they are, they're filled with dramatic highs and dramatic lows. But for our faith to be truly incarnational, I believe it cannot be limited to only those events. We may be able to love God from the mountaintop or call upon him from the depths. But if we ever want to love our neighbor like Jesus has loved us, we need to believe God is with us in the mundane and the small too. This is the tension of Palm Sunday. And there's probably no better example of how this plays out in a more negative fashion than with Peter. Apostle Peter, he always is the example, it seems like. I feel bad for him, but it's just the way it is. But Peter is a man who I have no doubt was one of the loudest shouters that first Palm Sunday. You know, he's probably the guy that, that laid down a palm at the beginning and then like ran to the other end of the line, like pushing the kids out of the way so we can lay a second palm down. He just always seems to turn everything up to 11. And you just look at his actions during Holy Week. When Jesus asked to wash his feet, first Peter makes a scene about how he'd never allowed Jesus to humble himself like that for him. But then when, when Jesus insists, Peter goes to the other extreme, demanding that Jesus not just wash his feet, but wash his whole body. He wants it to be a big deal. And later, when, when Jesus informs the disciples that one of them will betray him, 
instead of allowing that statement to be a moment of self-reflection, Peter goes over the top. He says, I would never deny you, Lord, not even to death. And we take that, that mentality, and we compare it to how on the same night, in the smaller moments, Peter has no recorded action to take in communion. And he falls asleep when Jesus simply asks for him to be awake with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. For Peter, those moments just aren't a priority. He'll wait to the big ones. He'll wait until the moment of arrest, and then he'll, he'll draw the sword. And, and even though that might feel impactful and full of purpose, what we know is that that way is just not connected to God's story. We simply cannot be people of faith if we are moving from one big moment to the next. Of course, we hear that, and then we fast forward and we think about our lives today, and we realize we got a real problem. Because our lives are legit crazy right now. It truly feels like one big thing after another. It's, it's hard not to be defined by these big moments. These days, there is an endless opportunity to go from one emotional thing to the next. We can get caught up in one big sweeping event after another. It's, it's like we're living our own version of the Tiger King. And it's exhausting. I've talked to multiple people who have had to actively limit their news intake because it's just too much. And that makes sense. At the end of the day, if we're relying on our faith journey to be this constant wave that sweeps us off our faith, off our feet, we will we'll never actively submit our lives to the Lord. We will never feel grounded. If everything has to match the intensity level of the big moments, if our work always has to feel meaningful and life-giving, and our homeschooling sessions need to knock it out of the park every time, and, and we really need to take advantage of this time of our empty calendars and fill it with some meaningful stuff, and also we got to emphatically serve in such a way that matches the pain that people in the world are feeling. If it's big moment after big moment, I'm telling you, we are done for. Like Peter, if all we have is the big moment, when some opportunity to truly be relational, to actually love another person well, when that finally comes along, we will be so worn out, we won't even feel we can manage faith in that small moment. And we will deny the Lord because we will have nothing left to give. But friends, it is the small moments that are inherently relational. Those are the opportunities 
to love our neighbor. It's amazing when you think about it, all the things that Peter goes through. The first time we at least see in the Gospels that he could love someone well, invite them into good news, is by the fire when that girl asks him if he's a follower of Jesus. It's not a big moment, but that's the opportunity. And I found that to be true at Kairos too. You know, people have felt drawn into God by a moving sermon before. People have been moved toward faith by incredible worship experiences and, and meaningful times on a retreat. But I'll tell you, no one has ever come up to me and said, I felt loved by you in that sermon. Maybe they have, but just in general, those big moments are what draw us close to God. Not necessarily to others. But the examples that of people actually feeling loved by someone else, it's almost always these small moments. The stories I hear of, of a single meal being given by someone that they didn't really know with a meal train. The note or the follow-up after somebody asks for prayer requests. It's, it's that time where someone invited you to be a part of something or to come over for dinner. Those are the times we feel cared for. And I believe as followers of Jesus, if we want to be witnesses to the good news in this big, crazy time, we cannot give up engaging those small moments. Fred Rogers of Mr. Rogers fame, he used to say one of his goals was to teach kids how to notice and name the small emotions they feel in part so they'd not be overwhelmed by the big ones. And can you imagine the difference it would have made in Peter's life if in one of those small moments of his time with Jesus, he was able to listen to how he felt and confess or confide in the Lord and say, Jesus, I'm just really sad and scared about what's going to happen to you. Can you imagine what that would have been like? How that might have changed his course? I wonder what that would mean for you to do this week. To really notice how you're feeling. Not just in the hard emotions, but the good ones too. As Brene Brown reminded me this week, when we treat how we feel as legitimate, when we just don't wait for something to overwhelm us, but, but notice how we're really feeling, no matter how small the reason for those feelings are, that's what actually allows us to be an empathetic and loving person to others. I was so struck this week as I went back over Jesus' final days before the cross by how many of Jesus' actions during Holy Week are simple, small expressions of grief. Jesus grieves over Jerusalem. He grieves over a fig tree. He grieves over the temple. 
his disciples, and he grieves for himself. The Lord is not simply mindlessly moving forward to the big moment of the cross. He is present, and it allows him to love the people he meets along the way. So here's my invitation to you this week. It's that in response to the small moments, I want to invite you to notice the small emotions you feel and to respond with small acts of love, believing we will get caught up in the big story of God. So maybe this week you feel fear. Don't ignore it until some small annoyance of your kids causes it to boil over into some big blow-up. Instead, name how you feel and turn it into an act of love. Maybe you fear losing someone. That is real. That is legitimate. But act on that and go tell that person that. Tell them how grateful you are that they are in your life. Maybe you feel lonely. Well, we could spiral until we are deeply depressed. Or we could courageously ask someone for help. We could say, you have always cared for me well, and I I just wanted you to know I need some help. Or we we could feel lonely, and we could just write to someone who we're glad is in our life and tell them that. There's a good chance that if you're watching the news, you're overwhelmed by what our healthcare workers are having to go for. Well, if we know someone, we can pray for them. We can make one of them a meal. As Martin Luther King famously put it, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way. And friends, this is the invitation of Holy Week. Oftentimes, those small things, they might seem silly. They might seem like we're not making much of an impact or not taking seriously how desperate the situation is. But I'll tell you, the most inspiring story I have heard this week was how a church a few years ago became overwhelmed by how broken the criminal justice system was. That's a big deal and a monstrous thing to try to think about. But in response to that, they simply got connected to a prisoner who was on death row. And through a series of events, they ended up ordaining that prisoner as a minister in their church. It was a a small act certainly had little impact. But in the story I read, that prison is now locked down. No chaplains can get in. No one, there's no visitors. But on one block of death row, there is an ordained minister of Jesus Christ inside the walls, pastoring his people. 
out of that small moment, this big moment of hope appears. Kind of reminds me of a group of women simply going to anoint a dead body and coming back the first preachers of the gospel. Because, friends, this is the story of Holy Week. Big things are happening. But we are simply invited to lean in with our small lives and believe that in us and through us and for us, God is bringing forth resurrection. Thanks be to the Lord, our Savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, it is easy to get overwhelmed. And we should not deny that truth. As we spoke last week, we are often in a pit of despair and we need to call out to you. And yet it seems it is just as easy to think that our lives only matter when something big is happening, that you will only come and be with us when deliverance is at stake. And yet you are a God who came to be with us in the big and the small. And that while we are often drawn in by moments of bigness to you, it's in those small moments that you invite us to love our neighbor well. And so, God, may we not throw one out for the sake of the other. May we believe that both are true this week. And may we see that come together in this table through your story of this small act of offering bread and juice to your disciples May we see that we participate in the big story of your kingdom coming. May our lives resemble that. Believing in everything we do in your name, you are with us. And you are bringing forth a new kingdom for us and for our neighbor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So good to be able to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's table again with you this week. If you weren't able to uh, join us last week, just know what you need. You can pause is something edible that can be dipped into something that's a liquid. Those are the big uh, pieces of the puzzle. Obviously, we think bread and juice is a good uh um, thing to remind us and to keep us grounded in the scripture, but we are uh, grace abounds into what it looks like. So grab that and uh, join me back in here in a second. So now hear the story of God's grace for us. Hear how we are invited into the biggest thing the world has ever seen. 
through the small moment of sharing a meal with our Lord. For it was on the night of his arrest that Jesus took bread, as I do now in his name. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, Christ took the cup. And he said, this is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink. And do this in remembrance of me. But friends, know that as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, the enormous promises of this table are true in the simple participation of this meal. May we believe that is true in every aspect of our life and see how this story truly is a gift of God for us, his people. Amen. And so now as we traditionally do with the elements that you have, I invite you to uh, take communion by intinction, taking off a piece of whatever you have and dipping it in the cup. And if you're able to do this uh, with other people, you simply say, the body of Christ broken for you in his blood shed for your forgiveness. Grateful we get to share this meal together and pray you might enjoy it and encounter the goodness of God in it. Thank you.